Great. So uh, this is uh, Investing Through a Crisis with Al Marino from Marino Family Office. Welcome, Al, to Emerald City. Uh, this is one of our broadcast discussions on how we can invest in the current climate. Can you give us a little bit of an overview about um, your background and what your thoughts are on this subject? Yeah, so I've had uh, basically a 25, 30 year career in finance in different positions. Uh, most recently I've been wor with working with my wife, Josephine Jenner, doing some uh, angel investing uh, in companies, mostly in the US. We've done one here in the UK where we live right now. We live in London. We moved from New York um, uh, last year. Um, prior to that, I was a, a co-founder, originally um, chief research officer, and then I was chief operating officer of a long, short credit hedge fund called Claren Road Asset Management. So I did a lot of uh, evaluation of companies and their prospects and the pricing of their securities. And prior to that, I had about a 10-year career in uh, infrastructure finance. Uh, you know, basic things like power projects, um, order projects, things of that nature. Great. So you do have like quite a background and especially, you know, with Claren Road, which was such a big fund and you guys, you know, went through the financial crisis in 2008, 2009 in the U.S. and came out of that, you know, looking good. Um, do, you, do you see parallels between what's happening now and 2008 or do you find this to be a very different beast? I think it's different because I think the 2008 was of a financial crisis, a liquidity crisis, a confidence crisis. Um, and I think there was policy making that was a little bit slow from uh, central banks and monetary authorities that could have been more effective in stemming some of the negative outcomes there. Um, I will say, you know, this the, the sharpness of the contraction we've had here in terms of how quickly uh, you know, unemployment spiked to you know record weekly jobless claims of three million, which is like five times the previous record. The fall in the stock market was you know for comparison the last three recessions I think has been they were down like eight nine percent about where we are right now versus thirty something percent. Um, so quite dramatic. Um, and you know we haven't had a situation where we basically almost shut down a large segment of the economy. Um, and uh, you know, navigating how that is is rectified is is a different beast than you know pumping money into the system. So you see, the Fed is trying to be as accommodative as possible on monetary policy, but almost every time that they announce additional facilities or uh, additional steps, it really doesn't alleviate the issue because it's really a fiscal issue. Um, the stimulus package, I think, is a is going to be step one. There's discussion today now of a big infrastructure bill. Um, and you know the critical thing is that uh, there are going to be a lot of small businesses and individual entrepreneurs that um, really are not going to be pay, being able to pay bills past you know this one-time check of twelve hundred dollars an individual, and you know that needs to be sort of bridged uh, to make sure that we don't you know you know basically. Uh, have a bunch of you know bankruptcies in the small business sector, which we are going to have, but we got to mitigate the extent of that because that will be you know really I think very detrimental to recovering anytime quickly from the current situation. Yeah, I mean it is an unprecedented situation. If you look at jobless claims in North America, you know it was bumping along at a, a very good rate, and then literally just stratospheric and. 
they they even asked in the U.S. a number of places not to publish the full job data. So the actual picture is potentially even worse than the numbers that we're seeing right now. And we're still, you know, only two or three weeks into this, not like three months or six months. Um, so, you know, do you think that uh, this actually sets us on a course for universal basic income uh, where we're, we're going to end up having to, to move into that kind of a situation to avoid like essentially a, an economic depression? I, I don't think that's where we're going to head here. I mean, I, I, I think I would say probably the, the thing that's more effective is what is being done over here in the UK where businesses that have to furlough employer, employees, um, the employees are getting paid, I think, 75 or 80 cents on the dollar while they're being furloughed. So the businesses are alleviated from those expenses and the employees are getting compensation. Uh, but that won't be, you know, universal basic income as you know traditionally thought of in the future until um all you know this will basically be exhausted once the employees come back um so i think universal basic income is going to be to be honest maybe even a bit trickier to implement going going forward because you know we're going to be at least two probably three or four trillion dollars uh, into more borrowings as a result of trying to uh, craft a fiscal package to get get out of this situation that I think the idea that the government is going to be taking on more liabilities with respect to universal basic income is almost it's almost more challenged by virtue of what's happening with the, um, the basically stimulus package that has passed and the one that may pass in the future. Mm -hmm. Let's talk for a second about that two, three, four trillion dollar like influx of money into the financial system. Um, what do you think that means in terms of uh, the inflation and the real time, the real term uh, value of the dollar and essentially the other fiat currencies that are, um, you know, affected by this stimulus? How do you see that playing out? And you know, for yeah, I don't, don't, I don't think there's any concern. Background. Oh, sorry, I, I don't think there's really any concern right now that the printing of money is going to create inflation because demand is so depressed um, mm -hmm. that it, it really. Um, it's not something that's going to be impactful anytime, I think, in the next few years. I think when we get beyond this crisis, um, to the extent that there's um, not some sort of, I think, uh, resizing a little bit of, of, of the government's balance sheet in terms of the fiscal deficits and the, the amount of assets the Fed has and things of that nature, then you could see some, you know, uh, you know inflation and pressure at that point in time. But you know, basically, I don't think you have to deal with that anytime. I mean, we went after the financial crisis. Globally, there was a flood of liquidity provided by all central banks. And to be honest, one of the big problems is they couldn't generate inflation, which they were hoping to. So I'm not concerned near term. It's going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. what, what do you see as being the impact of that stimulus? Well, I think it's going to provide at least some temporary relief for um for people that, you know, I mean, basically everybody's getting it uh, that had, you know, I think it was 75,000 or less of income. There, there's certain requirements. Um, to be honest, I think it would have been better targeted the way that the UK has sort of rolled it out. Um, the, you know, it remains to be seen what this, you know, corporate part of it turns out to be. Um, you know, I, I think that'll be sort of interesting to, to 
to see if that's effective or, or if that just becomes uh, a, a more of a, a, a crutch that doesn't really impact the everyday you know person and and generate recovery it just ensures companies don't go bankrupt um which to be honest is sometimes not the worst thing in the world for a company to, do, to go bankrupt doesn't mean it dissolves and liquidates i'm talking about big companies here um part mm. of that package has money for state and local governments which is going to be important because you know, basically tax revenues are going to decline significantly as you know sales taxes go down and income taxes go down um and a lot of state and local uh, governments are really didn't prepare for rainy days and having um, you know a disaster in the municipal bond market which was seemed like it could be brewing and it's been somewhat mitigated by this package you know you know can help there but you know I think I you know, think again you know I don't know the provisions of eight small business owners I think that's going to be a critical item and I do think that stimulus, stimulation of jobs, and if they do this infrastructure bill, that could be very helpful, uh, you know, is required as well. And potentially some more checks to people might be required too. I don't think this is a one-month problem for, for many people. I think it's going to be at a minimum three or four-month problem. So, you know, $1,200 one-time, you know, payment is maybe gets people through one month. It's not going to get them through four months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many people that have no savings or little savings that there's, there's not a lot of cushion built in for a lot of families. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk for a second? You mentioned a minute ago that there's a difference between the UK approach and the US approach. Um, what, what do you see as being those differences? And what is it that you like about what the UK is doing versus what's happening in the US? Well, I think, I think they're, 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 the idea that they're, they're furloughing, pay, paying for furloughed employees uh, compensation, um, you know, basically helps the business because, you know, then they can, you know, basically furlough employees and not have to absorb the cost of it. You know, here, if you're a small business owner in the U.S., if you, if you, if, if you furlough or basically, you know, temporarily lay off someone, um, you're basically, it's, it's, it's very challenging to, to, you know, rebuild the business because that person may not have enough compensation through this one-time government check of 1200 I think most people can live off of 80 cents on the dollar probably. So I like the fact that basically, you know, workers in the UK are being protected. Either they keep their jobs and they're not being furloughed and they're being paid or they're being furloughed and they're getting 80 cents on the dollar. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a far more effective way than just writing checks for everybody that made a certain amount of money last year um, versus, you know, doing it through the sort of, well, it's not going through the employer, but it's, you know, it's basically, and they're going to do it for the duration of this whole crisis. So there's some security for people to feel like, like, okay, I know I'm going to get 80 cents on the dollar until sort of I get back to work. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have that in the U.S. You get your check for 1200 and some people don't need it and they're getting it anyway. And some people need a lot more and they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, uh, what about uh, the kind of global uh, outcome. So, you know, what's very unique about this crisis is that it's affecting everywhere in different ways. Um, and obviously that's very much connected to the, the scale of the impact. So um, when you look at the global investing outlook across um, countries, do you see any places coming out as more of a, uh, like less badly damaged than others? And what does that then mean like long, longer run about their ability to, um, to, 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 to be a, a safe harbor. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's particularly any 
one economy or areas that are completely inoculated from this. I mean, uh, you know, it's, this has gone through Asia and Asia. Actually, the, the, the markets in Asia, particularly China, are not down as much uh, as they are in the rest of the world. Um, but, you know, the, you know, it's great that China is getting up and producing things again, but ultimately if the demand's not there from Western economies, it, it's, it's irrelevant how much they can produce. Um, I don't think there's anything particular idiosyncratic about Europe versus the U.S. versus emerging markets um, and how, you know, they, they fare here. So I, I don't think there's, you know, sort of any regional, you know, imbalances that have, will happen here. And, to be honest, to the extent that there are winners and losers, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, you may see protectionism try to uh, sort of mitigate that, which isn't good in the long run. But, you know, I think if if one region or country or is feeling um, that they, uh, you know, sort of have gotten the short end of the stick here, there's going to be, I think, more of a chance that uh, trade barriers are put up and tariffs are put in place and just to support their local businesses and industries, um, which again is, is never a good thing on a longer term basis, but probably, um, you know, also mitigates or also sort of lessens the idea that there's going to be a regional winner or certain countries that are winners here. Do you think that's particularly true with China? Like how do you, you know, there's rumors, um, that, China is making a very big announcement um, in about three weeks around their financial system and moving towards um, away from cash and towards a, a more digital type of um, uh, payment network. Um, you know, th there's a lot of change happening very rapidly in a lot of places. Um, after we hit the, you know, this, this trough, the, whatever, wherever the bottom is, how do you how do you see uh, places recovering if nobody's immune? Well, I mean, I do think there'll be basically people will have immunity by having contracted uh, contracted it and, and survived it. Uh, there are um, basically a lot of potential short-term solutions, sort of in the five to seven-month uh, time period, that are short, sort of short of vaccines that are being worked up and then there's possibly a vaccine so um you know i mean there is there is a strong possibility that we can be going through this again next fall into winter for sure um but you know i i again i, I think there's a lot of skepticism too about china and what they've done here in terms of the actual numbers there and what's occurred um you know it seems you know pretty implausible that this disease or, or virus has made it all the way along the world and somehow it never got to Beijing or Shanghai in significant numbers. Um, you know, that, you know, so, you know, you know, I think there's not something that China's got a magic bullet here in terms of they've done something that, you know, uh, they can continue to do in the future, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, it, when you talk about investing through a crisis, which is a, the title of this session, um, what advice would you have for investors? Because people are looking now for security, especially in a period where we're going into potentially some level of protracted, you know, tightness, um, thinking mildly. What, what, are you, what, what are you doing yourself and what are you? Well, I mean, I, I would say, first of all, you know, if you don't have to sell securities, don't sell securities. I mean, this is not 
the time to panic sell. It doesn't mean things won't go lower, could go lower. They probably will. Um, but it's hard to time the market. And if you don't need to sell securities, you really shouldn't. I think you'll be regretful in three to five years of anything you sold in the midst now. I mean, if you need liquidity, obviously you have to do what you have to do. And, um, you know, and, and you know, sell either, you know, ETFs, mutual funds, whatever you may have. Um, I would say, you know, personally, I'm looking to do some more investing in this marketplace. Um, and I'm looking to try to do it, you know, when things get ugly, they got ugly, then they got a little bit better last week. This week is starting to get ugly again. So, you know, just in terms of trying to time a little bit, I'm going to, you certainly don't want to put like one fell swoop. I think you want to allocate, um, you know, at least multiple investments if you're going to do, in terms of, of time frames. I think, think about doing it at least, you know, in spread it out over time and try to try to be strong enough to do it on the days, you know, after there's been some bad performance or the weeks after there's been some bad performance. So we're down, I think, four or 5% in the U.S. equity markets today. And I think there's pessimism now about the adequacy of the stimulus package and then the new numbers coming out in terms of potential new deaths. And so I think there's probably going to be a bit of a drag on the market for, for the next few days. And but you know, if it goes down four or five percent today, something like that tomorrow, maybe flat on Friday, then I think you're supposed to think about putting a little bit of money to work then. Um, and then where do you put it to work? I mean, I guess I'm not I'm not a big fan of chasing the guys that have performed well. I mean, the Amazons, the Netflix, um, some of the you know food companies that have done well because you know they've already outperformed the market, and a lot of it's justified, but. Um, I'd rather look for opportunities where things have been just sold because they need to be sold that still represent good long-term value. Now you can buy it at a discount. Um, so, you know, what, what a small thing I had is I had a little bit of exposure to a uh, company, a cannabis company in Canada, and, you know, it rode down the, the entire um, you know, market sell off and probably a little bit more dramatically than the market. And I purchased some of that, a, you know, a couple of days ago. So basically I, almost double my position for less than 50 cents on the dollar of what I put my initial position in. Um, then, you know, right now I'm looking very at some like professional investment strategy, right? I mean, this idea that if you're holding, you know, a hundred shares of something at a hundred dollars and then it falls to $50 and you buy another hundred shares, you've, you've basically evened out your, your purchase across the portfolio at $75. Right. So is that typically like a, a professional investing strategy where people are looking to average down their. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you have to take a look at what you own and why is it down. And to be honest, I think this is down because it was a, you know, cannabis space was hot for a while. It's doing well. It's probably not broadly owned by institutional investors. And one, you know, sort of thing starts. A lot of people sell when they when they see things falling. So, you know, they're not being disciplined about it. And, you know, this company doesn't have any debt. Um, I think the long-term prospects for these marijuana stocks are, are actually, you know, quite good. Um, I don't think actually they're, I don't think they're actually going to do fare too, fare too poorly even during this, this period of uh, economic depression. Typically, uh, uh, things like alcohol and, uh, you, know, you know, typically survive and do pretty well uh, in this type of environment. So, you know, I don't think cannabis should be any different than that. So if you take the long-term view that ultimately, you know, the U.S. will legalize this and it could be banked properly. You know, if you look at a five, seven year sort of time horizon, 
uh, for a company that doesn't have any debt on its balance sheet that you're concerned they're going to go out of business. I mean, you, you know, you know, why not try to buy it now when it's much discounted to where I bought it when I liked it before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about debt for a second. Um, cause that, that's obviously something that a lot of, uh, larger companies, uh, you know, they're managing debt. How do you see debt playing out in this scenario? Like obviously companies with a lot of debt have to service that debt, but at the same time, you know, with the stimulus, maybe that debt becomes easier to manage, you know, on a macro level. So how do you see debt in this new world that we're entering? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a little bit uncertain as to who's going to be able to access what. I mean, obviously there's been like a carve out for like things like Boeing and the airline industry and things of that nature. It looks like there's going to be some support in the U.S. for, you know, oil and gas producers to continue to, you know, produce that, that strategically in the States. But, you know, beyond that, I, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any, uh, like nobody's going to bail out, say, eight, I mean, AT&T's got a lot of debt, but I think they'll survive this. But, uh, you know, I was looking at, looking at some of the mining companies, besides, you know, there's been, a, you know, quite a big sell-off in those entities as well. And particularly if we're going to do some infrastructure projects, both in the U.S. and potentially globally, you know, companies that make iron and metallurgical coke and things of that nature should do well. And, and going through some of them, I mean, it's clear, like, you know, I was going through um, uh, uh, Anglo-American, BHP, and, and Glencore, and BHP and Anglo-American have, like, basically a fraction of the leverage that that Glencore does. So, I mean, I look, you know, at, at where I would invest, like, why would, it, and they're all down approximately, you know, about, about the same amount. So, I mean, you should always, I think, go for the company with with less leverage, particularly in a cyclical business like mining, um, or you know, so, uh, and there's going to be no bailout for mining companies uh, in terms of you know lines of credit and things of that nature. So um, again, I think if you're going to do individual companies, you have to really kind of do a little bit of a dive into what their current financial situation is in terms of leverage. And you know, again, you know, uh, some of these companies are may get some bailouts. I mean, who knows that the hotel industry will, probably not the casino industry, potentially the airlines, potentially defense contractors, uh, such as Boeing, you know, there's talk about cruise lines and things like that. So, you know, perhaps you make a bet on something like a carnival that has a lot of leverage and is down 70% and thinking that they're going to get a lifeline. And at some point in time, people will go back to cruising uh, or, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, again, it's, it's case by case. And if, if you do get involved in sort of those investments, I would, I would you know, definitely do amounts that are on the smaller side that you feel comfortable losing completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what about oil? So there, there's talk that um, the, the drop in overall global demand uh, has been so sharp and so sudden that global oil storage facilities are now filling up to a point that there's nowhere to put the oil that's getting pumped. And there's even talk of negative oil prices, which is, you know, literally unfathomable. But the idea that um, the, the, the price shock on oil itself has been really, really huge. Um, what are your thoughts about wh where that goes and what does that actually mean rippling out to the rest of the investing community? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, arguably beyond the specific energy space, 
cheaper oil prices are you know, generally good for any, any other company that typically is a consumer of energy. Um, with that said, I mean, the, you know, I don't think there's been clarity in terms of how the production will be limited again because of this dispute between Saudi Arabia and, uh, and Russia. Um, you know, it's almost a test of wills in terms of who could face the most pain. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia's got cheaper production costs, but has much more uh, uh, higher costs if you factor in what they do to support their economy beyond, you know, beyond just creating profit for uh, Saudi Aramco. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it's hard for me to make a prediction on oil in and of itself, um, but uh, I, I do think um, we'll see depressed energy prices for a pretty significant period of time. Yeah, very interesting. And then um, let's let's pivot over before we end um, for a couple more minutes on travel and and hospitality. So we talked a little bit about the impact on small businesses, but. Um, the travel industry has obviously been decimated, whether it's airlines or hotels or just generally tourism, um, which is a major driver for economies around the world. Um, provided that we're entering a three to five month period of, at the very least, reduced activity in this area, um, what's your outlook on the travel sector and um, where do you see opportunity there? Well, I, I do think it'll be a bit of time before people feel comfortable traveling again and, and before it's even allowed or yeah, with what's going on here. I mean, longer term, I mean, you know, people will travel. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's run the clock forward two years from now and maybe we're past another winter. Um, you know, I think the, the ability to travel too will be dependent upon where we are in the economic recovery. But, uh, you know, in general, um, it's hard to see a, structural uh, contraction of the travel industry that lasts for an extended period of time. So I, I think if companies can survive this liquidity crunch, and I don't know exactly how the facilities that will be provided for airlines will operate in terms of you know their loans, is the government going to take a percentage of equity? I think there's a lot of details to be sort of learned to understand if you're going to make some specific investments, it'd be very speculative right now because you know the, 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 that's the big wild card but um you know I, I think i think these companies will exist going forward i mean cruises may be a little bit more challenged i think there's you know there was a lot of uh, uh i think early negative publicity about all these people that are trapped on cruise lines there's one off of florida right now that just sailed up from chile looking for a place to dock to let off sick passengers um so there's some idiosyncratic things uh, that may make cruises a little bit less uh, likely to bounce back to, you know, pre-coronavirus days. But I do think in general, you know, air travel and, and, um, and you know, hotels and, and resorts, you know, will, you know, largely recover from this ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the factor, I mean, obviously, every week that the shutdown goes longer, it's got to be devastating for these businesses. Um, do you think that there's a breaking point? Like how far out do you think the economy can afford to be shut down or is it indefinite? Like at some point, you know, a two week shutdown is very different than a three month shutdown. Um, but it looks more and more like 
especially in the US and Europe, we're heading towards that kind of three month scenario. Um, how much? Yeah, I think most. Of, I think most of the big players, you know, survive this. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the in terms of the airlines, I think they'll get support by the government. Um, so they'll survive it. In terms of say the hospitality businesses, I mean, to be honest, most of them, most of the brands that trade are, are actually are, are actually don't own any real estate. They're operating companies. Um, so they manage uh, properties. They don't own them. Uh, so some of the underlying properties could go into default and the bank could take over the property, but that means the hotel will still be running. It just won't have the prior owner, you know, operating it. Um, it doesn't mean that the Marriott or the Hilton or the Hyatt won't get a revenue stream off of it. Um, so yes, I mean, I think there could be, um, assets that change hands through bankruptcy, but doesn't mean those assets, you know, are liquidated and, you know, sort of closed down forever or, you know, sold away and not kept open. Yeah, got it. Okay. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion on investing through the crisis with, with you, Al. Do you have any sort of uh, closing thoughts about what people can do to safeguard um, their investments? Or Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, again, just, you know, don't panic. If you don't absolutely have to sell, don't sell. If you have some liquidity that's available that you won't need for a period of time and you're, you know, you have enough surety in your own situation through this crisis that you have some, still have some investable uh, cash. Now is the time to think about putting it to work. Um, you don't have to, you know, to be honest, you can just put it in broad indices. You don't have to get so creative that you make individual stock picks. If you want to make individual stock picks, you have to make sure you, you know, sort of do the diligence on them and understand, um, you know, really whether they're going to be impacted longer term on this, whether they'll require government assistance, however they are. Um, there could be some interesting things we didn't really discuss, but there are some companies that probably will continue to pay a, a dividend. And now you can get dividend yields on, you know, some companies, seven, eight, nine percent that I think will be very attractive to have if you just need some income during this as well. Um, you can put some money to work in, in, in that perspective. But, you know, the, the overriding thing is we'll get through this at, and it may be very difficult and painful. I think governments have responded actually pretty well so far in terms of what they're doing on the, uh, not on the disease side of it, but you know, I think we've caught up a little bit on the disease side of it, but on trying to mitigate the consequences of this uh, for you know, you know, people in their countries. And uh, I think more will be done. Um, I think there's some longer term issues they may create in terms of inflation down the road, um, but uh, you, you know, I wouldn't worry about that right now from an investing perspective. Um, so, you know, again, uh, you know, don't be a panic seller. If you have some additional, uh, cash that you can invest, you know, we'll, we'll look to do it over the next, uh, you know, call it three to six months. Mm -hmm. And as we wrap up, um, you mentioned those dividend yields, uh, what kind of companies or can you sort of highlight any of those companies that you expect will be able to hold on to those dividend yields? Yeah, some of them, I think, like, you know, AT&T possibly could, and I think they're probably up to 7.5% dividend yield right now. A couple of the telecoms, you know, I think have reasonable prospects. Some of the utilities now are more up into the 6 7% dividend yields. They can probably hold on to that. Um, if you want to take a flyer and you think that 
um, oil won't go any further down. I mean, Shell is paying up almost a 13% dividend yield these days. They've never cut their dividend in their history. So that's, you know, I mean, you know, uh, but they're not as financially robust, to be honest, as they as they were in the past. So I wouldn't count on them not being able to uh, to continue to preserve that. Um, even some, well, I mean, they're not huge dividend yields, but like, like companies like Diageo, who's a, um, basically a uh, alcohol and wine producer uh, marketer. I mean, they're I think paying a four or five percent dividend yield these days. So there's there's some opportunity, I think, in that space for people that you know, want some current income and also those yields sort of tend to mitigate some of the downward pressure on the stock price if it's perceived that those dividends won't be cut. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Al. And um, we will see you, I guess, on another uh, call and potentially inside Emerald City, the virtual city that we're building with Hub Culture uh, to kind of get us through this uh, period of isolation. So that's Al Marino uh, calling in from London. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thanks you guys. Take care.